Good morning, everyone. It's great to be back. Two weeks ago, I preached up in Maine, and then we were on a vacation. And I've heard of all the great things God's doing. Appreciate Jonathan preaching and Austin preaching. It's just a great reminder. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says there's a variety of gifts and a variety of manifestations in the Spirit, but there's one God, one Lord, and one Spirit. And it's so cool to see how God's drawing people to Christ. It's all about Jesus. That's what we're here for. And wow, that was exciting to hear those testimonies. If you're visiting with us, you're very welcome. This might be different. You're like, you know, I haven't seen some of these things. Maybe you've come from a mainline Protestant background, a Roman Catholic church, and um, we, we just try to follow the Bible. We're not some weird cult or anything. We're just trying to go by God's word. And I'd like to invite you, if you have your Bible, to go to the book of Genesis, chapter 22. And if you don't have a Bible, feel free to just raise your hand. We'll, we'll give you one. You can keep it, as you heard from Dawn's testimony. And I remember her sharing. She says, you know, for the first time I started reading the Bible, and it just, it just kills me how many people I meet who go, oh, I already read the Bible. And yet, they really haven't. They don't know much about it. Somebody left their glasses here. I don't want them to get broken. So Genesis chapter 22, part of our service, we, we pray, we sing, we worship the Lord, we often have baptisms, but we study God's word. And this morning, we're in Genesis chapter 22. We're, we're doing a series called Faith of Our Fathers. We're learning from the Bible. The Bible's not this old-fashioned book that has nothing to do with anybody. The Bible's as relevant today as the day it was written. It's God's word. It's absolutely true, and it's inspired by God. It's not just some, a bunch of men sat around making up. And it's amazing how practical it is, and I think you'll find that this morning. But one of the things that we're learning from the book of Genesis is that there's really only four sections to it. The first section is about creation. And again, we're in this great struggle in our culture because we're being told that we didn't get created, we evolved. And that things like marriage between a man and woman, that, that's just arbitrary. But we look at the Bible and God describes creation, he describes Adam and Eve, he describes our origin. But then the Bible talks about a fall of Adam and Eve. It talks about original sin. And again, people contest that. They're like, I don't believe we're bad. We're basically good. But the Bible says that Adam and Eve sinned and that we were born inheriting their guilt and their corruption. And I don't think it takes a rocket science to, scientist to look around and go, wow, people have the potential to do really bad things. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're like, I have potential to do bad things. So there was a fall, and that fall brought corruption. And we saw in the Bible that Adam and Eve, their son Cain killed Abel. We saw the whole world became wicked and God had to send a flood. We saw all kinds of devastating rebellion against God, drunkenness, incest, same stuff that goes on today. And we go, what's God going to do? Is he going to just sit up there and watch this world destruct? And the answer is no. There was creation, fall, corruption. But then God called Abraham to form a nation to ultimately bring salvation. And we're here today worshiping Jesus Christ because God in his plan selected Abraham, the founding father of, of the Hebrew faith, of which God said, Abraham, one of your descendants is going to bless the whole world. And if you're here this morning, it's because God brought you because he wants to bless you. And our mission statement, if you read it in the bulletin, it says this, we're advancing the gospel, which means we're not making up our own religion. We're telling you what the Bible says. We're telling you the good news of Jesus Christ and his grace. But then it says we're making disciples. And this is what Jesus said. This isn't our idea. Jesus says, go into all the world and tell them the gospel. And then call them, invite them to become a disciple. 
And that's not something that happens by going to church. It's a decision you make. And if you've made that decision to turn from your sins and to trust Christ, you've started the process of discipleship. And the next thing God asks you to do is be baptized. Jesus said, go and make disciples and baptize them. This doesn't get you to heaven. It's how you show you're a disciple. But then the rest of your life, Jesus says, and teach them to obey. So disciples are sinners who have received Christ and his gift of salvation, and then we spend the rest of our life following him until we enter into his kingdom or he comes again. Well, what we're going to learn about this morning is one of the things that happens in the life of disciples is that God tests us. Now, none of us like to be asked something that we don't want to do. In fact, we sort of pick up on this early on when people say something like this. Hey, what are you doing tomorrow? And we don't immediately say, nothing, I'm free. We go, depends, right? <laughs> uh, depends. Oh, I'm, I'm moving, can you help? Oh, I'd love to, but my trick back has been... So, so it's hard enough when, when a human asks you to do something you don't want to do. But how much harder is it when God asks you to do something that you don't want to do? And that's part of what a test is. It's when God asks us to do something or he allows something in our lives and he's saying, this is what I want you to do or stop doing. And then we have to decide, am I going to obey God? And so we're going to learn this morning that Abraham experienced an incredible test in his life. And there's so much that we can learn from this. So let's pray. And then I hope you'll follow along Genesis 22. If you can't find it, just ask somebody. They'll show you where it is in the Bible. Lord, may your Holy Spirit speak to us through the Bible because all of us, if we're disciples, we have been and will be tested. Help us to learn from this story. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Three things I want to look at. I want to look at the test and then how this test becomes a type of Christ and then what's, what's my application? What does God want me to do with this? So, Let's start in verse 1. It says, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Now, what does he mean by after these things? Well, remember, Abraham had no children, and God kept saying, You're going to have a son through your wife Sarah. It's going to be a miracle. You're 100 years old. And through your son, the whole world's going to get blessed because Jesus is going to come from your descendants, right? And Abraham went through all kinds of things, sometimes good, sometimes he failed God, he lied, remember he was disobedient, but he always kept following God by faith. Now God steps in, and after all that he's been through, he finally has son, he's finally at a peaceful place in his life. It looks like Ab or Isaac, his son here, is probably like 20 years old, that's what the commentary suggests, and I'll explain why. And suddenly God appears to him and he says, here I am. Now, that's not the here I am like somebody calls you from another room. Hey, Dad. Yeah, what? Here I am is, is, seems to me to be Abraham really saying to God, what is it, Lord? Because Abraham had come to a point of submission where he's like, God, if you tell me to do something, I'm here. So, Abraham, here I am, Lord. What is it? Look at verse 2. And he said, take now your son. Now, you could have just said, take Isaac, but look at how descriptive this is. Take now your son, your only son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah. Now, if he just stopped there, Abraham would say, hey, I've done that before. 
You've told me to leave everything familiar and go to a different land that I don't know about. But don't just go to the land of Moriah. He says, go there and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Now, that's why you're like, what? What kind of a God would ask someone to kill their son and burn him in fire? That's what godless pagans were doing at the time. Now, when we read God tested Abraham, remember, Abraham didn't know that. We're able to sit above this and go, it's just a test. In the event of a real emergency, you would be told what to do. He didn't know this was a test. So this went against everything not only that he knew about God, but about everything against God's promises. God had promised through Isaac, you're going to bless the whole world. And now he's going, I want you to sacrifice your son. Now, when God tests us and he asks us to do things, some things are fairly insignificant. Like in the grand scheme, some of you would say, I believe in the Lord, but to get baptized, listen, to stand in front of a few people for 10 minutes one Sunday, he's asking them to give his only son. And again, sometimes the scriptures are silent where I want a lot more. Like, I want to know what Abraham said here. Because I know he's good at, at, at praying and debating with God. Remember chapter 18. Lord, if there's 50, if there's 40, 30, please, 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 please. But none of that, nothing. What's going through his mind? Look at the next verse. So Abram rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. Now, if anything else, we have to say that is an incredible act of unflinching obedience. Okay, now I don't know what was going through his mind, but he says, okay, God. And then, instead of just saying, yeah, and they went and did it, it gives all these little descriptions, look what the Holy Spirit put in there. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him. And he took Isaac, his son. And, and, and notice how the story's slowing down. He split wood for the burnt offering. Again, you're thinking, what's going through his mind? Right? He, this takes time. Why don't he just go do it? Just get it over with. Don't even think about it. Right? All this time. right? And then he rose, and he went to the place of which God had told him. And if that's not enough, look at verse 4. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. You think to yourself, how could he even sleep? Did he sleep? What was going through his mind? He hasn't told Isaac yet, right? For three days, he's walking side by side with his son, laying there at night going, God, you want me to sacrifice my son? Verse 5. And Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder, and we will worship and return to you. So, so as they approach this, this Mount Moriah, he says to the two servants, you guys stay here. Now, several commentaries said this. They said, I think the reason he did that is because if he took them all the way to where they were going to perform this, they would have grabbed Abraham, thrown him on the, on the ground and said, what's wrong with you, you crazy old man? And they would have tied him up and, and, and never let him go through with this. So he says, you guys got to stay here. So now it's just him and Isaac. But notice what he says in verse 5. We will worship and return to you. Now you can't see this in the English translation, 
But in the original language, it literally says, we will return to you. See, that's important. Because you would have expected him to say, you guys stay here, we're going up to worship, and I'll be back. But he doesn't. He says, we will be back. And you're like, oh, so he's not going to do it, is he? And what we're going to learn is, he didn't say we'll be back because he wasn't going to do it. He said we'll be back because of his incredible faith. But let's keep looking. Verse 6. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. Now, the idea here is that, that Isaac carried the wood, which is one of the reasons that most of the commentators think he was a, a pretty mature young man. You know, not a little kid, right? So he's carrying the wood. So he's not like a little four-year-old that doesn't know what's going on. So he lays the wood on his son, and as they're walking along, he, he, he says, <clears throat> verse 7, Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and he said, my father, and he said, here I am, my son, and he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Dad, aren't we forgetting something? We've done this before. I understand burnt offerings. This is what we do to worship God. God asks us to sacrifice an animal, and, and that's a way that we, we worship him. But where's the animal this time? Now again, I don't know what I would have said at, at this point. What, what would you have said? But notice what Abram said. This is incredible. He doesn't really know exactly how to answer, but, but he does say this. He says, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now remember, this is a test. He does not know. It's not like he's like, I know there's a lamb waiting up there. Incredible faith. But don't miss that phrase. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abram built the altar there. One of the, one of the writers said this about that. That was the saddest altar that he ever built. So he's, he's putting the stones together for this altar, which he had done before. But before when he offered these things, it was out of love and gratitude to God and act of worship. I love you, God. This time it's like, I'm building my son's casket. I'm building my son's barbecue. It's just, just hard to imagine what he was thinking. And he arranged the wood, but here's where it's just like incredible. Verse 9. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now that's where I go, you know what? The movie has to be better than the book here. You're like, Why? Because there's way too much that I need to know. Like, what do you mean he bound his son Isaac? Did he say to Isaac, hey, Isaac, look at that bird. <laughs> Ties him up. Hey, Dad, what are you doing? Right? So what do you mean he bound his son Isaac? In fact, that word bound there, the Hebrew word for binding, the, the Jews over time in history, and I don't know if it's pronounced akedah or akedah, but, but they call this the akedah, the the binding story. This is the story that, that, that Abraham bound Isaac. Now, I'm going I'm to tell you what I think happened. I think they, they talked. Abraham is an old, frail man by now. Isaac's a young, strapping man by now. So it wasn't a power struggle here. Like Isaac's like, don't do this. I think they talked. I think he told him, Isaac, I don't understand this, but God 
told me to sacrifice you here on the altar. And, and, I, and I'm astounded by Abram's sacrifice, but I'm just as astounded by Isaac's obedience, right? To willingly say, wow, okay, I trust you, Dad, and I trust the God that you've taught me. And so if that's what, if that's what God says, then okay. Just, just, just incredible. Abram stretched out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. And he was definitely going to do this. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and he said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Now, one of the things I've taught you is that when the Bible says the angel of the Lord, frequently that's a term for the Lord himself, okay? This is the Lord Jesus himself speaking to him. So the Lord Jesus tells him to stop. Verse 12, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear or you respect God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Now, a couple things I want you to think about here. And this is why when you're reading the Bible, it's a good idea to read slowly and ask questions, okay? You should have a question here. If you've been learning about God from the Bible, you should be going, wait a minute, now I know? Because I thought we've learned that the God of the Bible, the living God, knows everything, that he's sovereign, that he's omniscient, that he knows not only everything that's going on actually, but he knows everything that's possible. Darkness and light are alike to him. Even before there's a word on my tongue, the Bible says he knows it all together. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows everything. How in the world could he say, well, I'll be, well, now I know. Well, what I want you to think about here is that this is not intended to tell us what God is like. God frequently will accommodate himself, and it was Calvin who said this, he'll accommodate himself so that we can identify with him. Okay? Because in reality, it wasn't about God going, you did it, you really surprised me there, sport, I'm proud of you. God knew. But the reality is, it wasn't for God's knowledge, it was for Abraham to know and for us to know. But notice, and I can imagine Abraham trembling, weeping, falling to his knees, dropping the knife and sobbing. And probably you're going, Abraham, what about Isaac, <laughs> right? He was sobbing too, right? Verse 13, then Abram raised his eyes in the midst of this tremendous emotion and he looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abram went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Now, first of all, I want you to note something here. This was not a coincidence. Like, wow, what a lucky day they had. Again, as you get to know God and read the Bible, you find out there's no accidents, that God is in control of all of our circumstances, and that frequently God brings something out of what seems to be an impossible situation. I told this story before, but in a nutshell, years ago I was out in the middle of a lake with, with another guy. We were, we were snorkeling in an area where we thought we could touch bottom. We didn't have, you know, scuba gear or anything. And suddenly this guy panics and he starts drowning. We're in the middle of a lake. 
We're about, I don't know, a quarter mile from, from Lakeside. This guy's going to drown. And he's screaming. He's a big, strapping Italian guy. looks like Rocky. And he's screaming, we're going to die. We're going to drown. And I go, Jesus is going to save us, right? Now, I wish that when I said that, I could, I could honestly say, I was expecting the angels to just come and lift us from the water and <laughs> drop us on the bank. But I just said that because I was trying to calm this guy down because he was freaking out. I go, Jesus is going to save us. But sure enough, a boat, it was a real windy day, and I could see a boat so far away from us that I didn't even bother calling because the motor was running and they were moving away from us. But suddenly the boat stopped, right? And I figured, can't hurt. Oh, oh, we're screaming. We're like little specks. And they saw us, and they came shooting over with the boat. By then, this guy was gone under, thrown up when he came, you know, the whole story. But in a nutshell, this is what they said. They go, hey, we're, we're, we're just a couple of painters that were out on a job, and we decided to leave early and go tubing. You're like, wow, that was a coincidence. And then they said, and frankly, we would have never heard you shouting, but the guy who was in the tube fell out of the tube for no reason. So we cut the engine. And, and, and because we know what the Bible teaches about God, I'm like, okay, God moved them to go tubing. The angel Gabriel knocked that guy out of the tube, right? <laughs> And suddenly, God provided a way out. And here we see God providing for himself what we could never do. And so Abraham comes to a, a conclusion. He says in verse 14, I'm going to call this place the Lord will provide. Remember, we've been learning the names of God as we've gone through this. This is a really cool name of God. It's the name Jehovah now, most people in English pronounce it Jireh, J-I-R-E-H. Some of you have even heard famous Amy Grant song, Jehovah Jireh. Um, or no, she has El Shaddai. We talked about that. But you've heard Jehovah Jireh. It literally means the Lord will see or the Lord will provide. So, so the living God of the Bible is Jehovah Jireh, the God who will provide. Now, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. The last thing I want us to look at, and then we're going to talk about this test, is God's pronounced blessing upon Abraham. Because here's what I want you to think about. God's testing you and me. He's probably not going to ask us to give up one of our children, though he has. And as much as that's my worst nightmare, hold your kids lightly. Because nothing belongs to us. But at the end of the day, what I want you to see here is that to obey God when you're tested will result, first of all, in great blessing for us but it will also result in great blessing to others and it will result in bringing glory to God. So for that reason, it's worth it to obey God when you're tested. But let's look at the blessing first to Abraham, then to others. Verse 15, then the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven. And he said, by myself I have sworn. By the way, for those that are really studying the Bible at an in-depth level, take a look at that, by myself I have sworn at the end of Hebrews 6. It's really a cool phrase. The author of Hebrews refers to how God swears by himself to encourage us. He declares, because you have done this thing and you have not withheld your son, your only son, look, indeed, I will greatly bless you. Now, is there anybody here that's gone, I don't know, what, what are you saying? Here's what I'm saying. If you obey God by faith, he will bless you. Doesn't mean he's going to make you rich, but to obey God and to pass tests, will bring blessing. And he says, I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore. Your seed shall possess the gates of their enemies. 
But notice, and in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. See, when you obey God and I obey God when I'm tested, not only do I get blessed, but others get blessed. And if you've never experienced the blessing of having God use you to bless others, that's really cool. That's a neat thing to think. Just ordinary sinners like us, as I learn to obey God, he not only wants to bless me, he'll bless my kids. He's going to bless other people because he gave me the grace to do what he wanted me to do. And so ultimately, this is actually pointing us to Jesus. In your seed, Jesus, the Savior to come, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. People from every tribe and nation will be blessed because you obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young man. They rose, went to Beersheba, and Abraham lived there. Now, for the last little time together, I want to talk about two things. First, I want to talk about testing, because you and I need to understand this is part of Christian discipleship. If you're going to follow Jesus, which many of you have already made a decision, you just need to know this, that God regularly tests Christians. So let me tell you what a test is. A test is a difficult situation to determine whether or not you will obey God, okay? It's a difficult situation to determine whether or not you and I are willing to obey God. Sometimes he's going to ask you to stop doing something. The word of God is going to just speak to you and God's going to say, I want you to stop that. Sometimes he's going to ask you to do something. He's going to say, this is what... I want you to do. This is what my word says to do. But again, it's, it's, it's a difficult situation. It's often accompanied by a trial. In James chapter 1, mark this down, James chapter 1 verse 3, it says, consider it all joy whenever you encounter trials, difficult situations, because it's the testing of your faith. Okay? So, if you're going through a difficult situation this morning, it could very well be because God's giving you a test. Are you willing to obey him? You don't need to understand all the reasons why. Are you willing to obey him? Now, a test is slightly different from God's discipline. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, that God loves all of his children. If you're a believer, if you're, like, like this person said, born again, right? If you're a born-again believer, all of God's children, if we continue to disobey him deliberately and persistently, he's not going to stand there and say, oh, please stop, please stop. The Bible says all of God's children, he disciplines us so we will partake of his holiness. And no discipline's fun. He'll spank you. He'll take you to the woodshed. He'll get your attention. The psalmist said it this way, when I kept quiet and I covered up my sin, Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. Okay, that's not a test. Okay, that's called discipline. So if you're a Christian and you're sinning regularly, on purpose, unwilling to repent, and you know it, and you're in a difficult situation, you're being disciplined by the Lord because he wants you to repent and come back to him and start obeying him, right? And it's not because he hates you. The Bible says those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. So you won't, have, he doesn't, you, you just don't go, what's going on? You know, because God speaks before he spanks. So for some of you, maybe you're not being the spouse you should be. Maybe you've got some double life. You've got an addiction. Maybe you're having an affair. 
You're, you're fornicating. You're not married. You're, you're lying. You're, you're cheating. On, you know, you're doing things that Christians are not supposed to do. And you know that. You just don't want to stop. And then God's going to put his hand on you. That's not a test. Okay? And God doesn't discipline unbelievers. That's the final judgment they get. It's Christians that he spanks them. But for many Christians, you could really be loving God. It doesn't mean we got it all together. We fail, but, but you, you know when you fail, you ask God's forgiveness. You're trying to do what's right. And, and you're trying to trust God, trying to do the right thing. And you're going, God, why are these difficult things happening? Then you can go, okay, I'm not being disciplined. I'm being tested. So now you understand what a test is, but, but it's very important to understand why does God test us? Why would he, why would he let me go through difficult stuff? I don't, I don't need that. And the answer is, is very clear in the Bible. God's primary goal for you and me is not our happiness. It's our holiness, meaning he wants you and me to become more like Jesus. This is really, that's discipleship 101. To become a Christian is to be forgiven of my sins and then I begin to become like Jesus. I'm following him, right? So how do I become like Jesus? Well, James chapter one says this. God gives us trials to test our faith and the testing of our faith produces proven character and endurance. And these things, when they have their way, make us complete and mature. So the idea is God's gonna let you and me go through difficulty. And the reason is, is because this could make me more like Jesus. So you're like, why do I have this spouse? Consider that a gift from God to help you to become more like Jesus. Why do I have this boss? Why do I have this health problem? These aren't things that God does because he hates us. He wants you and me to be like Jesus. And these tests are part of how we become like Christ if we respond. So, one of the things I have to understand is that when I'm being tested by God, I don't always pass the test. Sometimes we disconnect from him. You can get better like Christ or you can get bitter. You can say, I'm mad at God. I'm not talking to you anymore. See, it doesn't work. I try to do it God's way. This doesn't make sense. Stop reading your Bible. Become bitter or cynical. Grow cold. Cut yourself off from other Christians. Or you can say, Lord, I don't understand this. So what should I do if I'm tested? Well, two things. Number one, trust God's promises, okay? Rehearse what you do know. This is really important. Trust God's promises, okay? He's got some wonderful promises, and that's the only thing that we can cling to. I don't know why this is happening, but I do know this about God, okay? So let me give you a couple examples. One of God's promises I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So when Satan goes, you can't do it. You'll never change. It's not, don't obey God. Wait a minute. Trust God's promises. I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here's another promise. God will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. You're like, if God asked me to sacrifice my son, I couldn't do it. Well, he didn't. He didn't ask you to sacrifice your son. But what he did ask is for you to trust him. Do you trust that whatever he allows in your life as a test, that he will not allow you or me personally to go through anything that I can't handle? It's one of Satan's biggest lies. You can't take it anymore. And the world says, you're mad and somebody's going to pay for it. No, God's not 
just out there going, figure it out on your own. He's got wonderful promises. Now you say, how do you know that's true? Because how did Abraham have the faith to sacrifice Isaac? Because he trusted God's promises. Think about this. He knew that God promised him that Isaac was going to be the founding father. So he knew Isaac has to be alive. So listen to Hebrews chapter 11. This is such a great verse. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And then it says this. He considered that God is able to raise even from the dead. See, how did Abraham, how was he willing to do that? Because he knew what God promised. And he said this, man, I don't get this. God, if you want me to kill him. But, but, but I expect that, remember this? Me and that boy are going to go up there and worship. And me and that boy are coming back. And in his mind, if it has to be because I kill him and God raises from the dead. So, so what do I do when I'm tested? Number one, you've got to cling to God's promises. Number two, you've got to obey God. No ifs, ands, or buts. You have to obey God. Do what he says. Okay? You, well, I don't understand. It, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. This is not how God works. He doesn't say, when you understand, and we'll talk about it, if you think it's a good idea, how about if you do what I say? No. The, the disciple of Christ, and I don't want to make light of this, because God could call us to do some difficult things, and he does, and many of you have been called to do difficult things. You trust God, and then you obey him. You know, when I think about that, I'm like, oh man, I have dropped the ball. Many times I have failed a test. But here's the good news. God doesn't deal with us according to our performance. Yes, he will bless you and bless others when you pass the test. But at the end of the day, all of God's operations are for one simple reason. God is gracious and he loves his elect and he is the one that always is the hero. And so I want to close by reminding you of how Jesus is really the hero of this entire story. Bruce Walkey in his commentary on Genesis had some really cool thoughts and I just want to rehearse these real quick and then we'll close with one specific thing to, to walk away with. Think about these things as, as I look at that because the Bible tells us that this whole story was about a type, a picture of Christ. Real quick, number one, the first thing we learn is that our salvation completely depends on God's provision, okay? There's millions of churches all over the world going, be good and you'll go to heaven. Do good, say your confessions, do this, do that, you'll get to heaven. Uh-uh. The Lord himself will provide a lamb. Behold the lamb of God who did what? Who, who helps you do good so you can get to heaven? Uh-uh. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is finished. Salvation in the Bible is entirely from God's grace and His love. I do nothing but receive it as a gift. Please say amen. amen. Behold the Lamb of God. So number one, this passage is the first passage in the Bible where we see a substitute. We saw sacrifices, but never a substitute. God will provide. And maybe you're at that point in your life where you're going, I've screwed up my life, or I've tried to be a good person, but I finally get it. 
I can't get to heaven by what I do. It has to be by what Christ did. He's my lamb, and today I'm going to attach myself to him and believe in him as my Lord and Savior and follow him the rest of my life. Salvation is entirely by God's provision. So if you've made a mess with your life, I got great news. Behold the lamb of God. Number two, salvation comes through Jesus' perfect submission. See, the Father planned our salvation. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But don't miss this. Jesus didn't come down kicking and screaming going, why do I have to go? Like Isaac, this is really cool. Walkie pointed out a couple of things. Remember when Jesus was, was, was arrested? It says, as a lamb led to the slaughter, so he didn't open his mouth. Remember, they, they actually bound Jesus. Songwriter said they bound the hands of Jesus in the garden where he prayed. And they led him through the streets in shame. They mocked and spat upon him, how pure and free from sin. And they said, crucify him, he's to blame. Think of Jesus like Isaac, willingly laying down his life. And why? Because he deserved it? No, because he loved you and me. The Bible says he loved us and he delivered himself. Think about how Isaac carried his own wood to his own sacrifice. Behold the Lamb of God with the cross on his back, walking up Calvary for you and for me because he loved you so much that he wanted to be the Lamb to save us from hell. Think about how Isaac was obedient to the Father's will. Philippians chapter 2 says this, have this attitude like Jesus has, who he didn't think being equal with God was something he had to hold on to, but he emptied himself. And he took on the form of a servant, and he became obedient to death, even a death on the cross. You see, we're here today to celebrate Jesus, the Lamb of God, who willingly, lovingly did all that for you and me. And one day, we're going to see him. And we just sang, I can hear the voice of every angel, but you're going to hear my voice and your voice as we stand before him. Revelation 5 says, there will be a teeming throng of people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation in this whole planet, and we'll all sing together, you are worthy, worthy is the lamb that was slain. We want you to fall in love with Jesus. We want you to follow Jesus. We want you to trust Jesus, and that's what I want to do. And then ultimately, just as Isaac was given back, we said, as a type of the resurrection, God raised Jesus from the dead. The gospel's not good news unless Christ rose again. And so God raised him from the dead. And where is he now? He's at the right hand of God. And he's here today in the presence of believers whenever we gather in his name. So as we close, there's a simple but profound truth and it's simply this, and I want to remember it for me the rest of my life. Because God has provided a lamb, disciples are to obey him when they're tested. Because God has provided the lamb, disciples are to obey God when they're tested. Can you say that with me? Because God has provided the lamb, disciples are to obey him when they're tested. Paul thought about this story in Romans 8 when he said this. 
No matter what you're going through, and you're like, I don't know if God loves me. I don't know why my life's falling apart. I don't understand if God's going to take care of me. He said this. If he didn't spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also freely give us all things? Whatever you need today, God is for you, child of God. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian and you're going, I'm on the outside, I want in, run to Jesus. Right there, right now, run to Jesus in your heart and say, Lamb of God, take away my sin, become my Savior. You can do that right now. Let's, let's close in prayer. While every head is bowed and our eyes are closed, maybe your eyes have been opened to understand who Christ is this morning. He's not just a good guy who said, blessed are the humble. He's the savior of the world. He's the lamb of God. You saw people testify that Jesus changed their lives. Jesus wants to change your life this morning. If you will just look to him, cast yourself upon Jesus. Right there in your seat, say to him, Lord, I believe and I want to follow you. Lord, I trust you. Please become my Lord and Savior. Forgive all of my sins. I'm willing to follow you. I'm willing to obey you. And Christian brothers and sisters, let's pray for one another and disciple one another. We'll all be tested. Some of you are being severely tested this morning. Oh God, give us strength to obey you. Give us strength to trust you. Lord, thank you for your wonderful love that's not based on our performance. Help us to go forth determined to trust and obey you because you gave your son. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I'd like to give just a simple invitation. We're gonna sing a song real quickly called I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. I don't do this all the time, but every once in a while, will provide an opportunity because God speaks to people's hearts. And sometimes it's really important that when God speaks to your heart, that you respond to him in faith and obedience. One of the things the Bible says to do is if you're a Christ follower, if you've made that decision, to be public about that. There's no such thing as a secret service agent for Jesus. I'll just hide it under a bushel. So the Bible says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord. And so one of the ways that we provide for that is we invite people from time to time just to come and stand publicly as a testimony to say, I have received Christ as my Lord, and I want people to know that. I want to stand before others and profess my faith in Christ. Now, let me say a couple things. If you don't come, that doesn't mean you're not saved. If you're not sure, don't come. But if you know in your heart of hearts, whether it's today or recently, I have decided to follow Jesus and I believe in him as my Lord and Savior. I want to be saved. I'm willing to be baptized. If you know, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come and stand. We'll rejoice with you. You're like, what will people think? You know what they'll think? Praise the Lord. They will be so happy for you. So we're going to sing together a simple chorus called, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. And while we're singing, don't wait. And it's not going to be an emotional thing. It's just God, God may be speaking with you. The devil may be talking, don't do this. What will people think? Don't worry about what people think. What would Jesus think? And if you've come before, you don't need to come again and again. And it doesn't save you. But if you just say, 
Today, the Lord speaking to me, and I just want to publicly say I'm following Christ. So let's sing together and just come as God moves in your heart. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Amen, that's fine. If God has spoken to you, be sure to let one of us know. We're here to answer your questions. We're here to help you. You may be struggling. Don't go out of here saying, if I didn't come forward, God's going to curse me. We want it to come from your heart. So let me pray. Let's stand together. And God bless you. Be sure to greet one another as we go. Father, thank you so much for the baptism this morning. What a joy to hear of how you've changed people's lives. May you bless the people that were baptized in both services. May you help each one of us who's being tested to trust and obey you. Thank you for Jesus. May he come again quickly. But until then, Lord, help us to love one another and obey you and help others to do the same. Thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Hey, what's the matter, buddy? Every pain